1: everybody and welcome to the Health Hub. My name is Kathy Biase. I am your host and along with Alex Diaz we'd like to welcome you to the show today. Good morning Alex.
2: Good morning Kathy. How are you?
1: I'm very well. How are you doing?
2: Keeping well as well. Good. I'm very excited to be here.
1: Me too. Did you have a nice weekend?
2: Yes I did although it did kind of fly by. What surprised me most was um, the weather we actually got on Monday but yeah uh, the, the, the weekend... I know for you, was very eventful.
1: It was. My son got married. My eldest son got married. Thank you. It was a whirlwind of a week. Very, very emotional for me. My husband was doing his happy dance because we have four kids and he's the first to go. And my husband is you know, it's time to move on, move to better things. And, and I was crying in the corner because, you know, my son has lived with me for 27 years. One year he went away to school. Okay. So have him moving out of the house is very, very different. I think moms approach it much more differently and emotionally than dads do. I,
2: I would think so. I mean, um, but in terms of even from a, a, a daughter Daughter uh, father relationship. I'm sure he's going to react differently um, compared to his son being married.
1: Well, he has married. the the outlook that it's you know we've raised them well. They're moving on. It's it's the circle of life, and we're on to doing our own things. We still have three more kids at home, so we're nowhere close to doing all our own thing. But um, I found it, it was a beautiful day. It was um, we had it at the doctor's house in Kleinberg, and my, my the two kids did it themselves. All I had to do was get dressed up and show up on the day. But it was lovely. The ceremony was lovely. And now they're off on their honeymoon. And uh, new life starts for all of us. So it's, um, it was, it, but it was lovely. And I'm very, very happy for the two of them. And I'm trying to look at it as that we've increased our family, that I haven't lost a son. But let me tell you, it is still, it's still pretty emotional for me.
2: As you said, you've, you've gained a daughter-in-law.
1: Mm. I have, yes. I have, and she's wonderful, so... On we move. I guess, I guess, as you said, it's a circle of life. Today's show is live. If you would like to call in and speak to our guest, Dr. Deanna Minnick, myself or Alex, our number is 416-245-1534. You can find us on social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Health Hub RMC. And if you'd like to email us with questions, suggestions for shows, or anything else, you can email us at thh at Now, I have a little therapy for you, and we're still in cold and flu season, although we are coming to the end of it. But this is a therapy that I found out about, I think, five years ago, and I have been using it ever since. And my children believe in it full-heartedly, and they've recommended it to their friends, and it's called wet socks or warming socks and it is beautiful for fighting decongestant for fighting colds and the decongestion that comes with it and other symptoms of cold and flu that come along with this time of year and what this does is you're putting on wet socks I'll give you a the rundown of the protocol but in general terms you're putting on these wet socks you've put them in water and you're putting them on your feet And the blood vessels in your feet constrict. And it's a gentle stimulation of your circulatory system. And it helps really to really helps. The one thing that I find it really, really works with well is decongestion. And it's a therapy that, um, as I said, we've mentioned to many people, and it works like a charm. So we have a pair of wool socks at home in our special spot, and as soon as anyone is feeling any sort of symptoms, they rush to get them. My daughter used them um, just before the wedding, actually. She was deathly afraid of getting sick, so she she did use this treatment. And it's a simple one. It really is. You take a pair of cotton socks, and you soak them in cold water. And then you wring them out, so they're still wet, but they're not not dripping wet, and you put them on your feet. And it feels cold, and it feels uncomfortable initially, but it will start to get better for you. You'll get used to the sensation of the wet socks. And then you take a pair of thick, dry wool socks, and you put them on top of the cold wet socks. And you go to bed, and you dream your happy dreams, and your feet do all the work for you. And this gentle constriction, it really helps to, to, to detoxify. It helps to, as I said, move along the decongestion. And when you wake up, these socks will be dry on your feet. And you can continue to do this on a nightly basis until you feel that you've had some relief. Honestly, I think after the first night, generally speaking, is, is the real kick. It really helps. We've, we only use it usually for one night, and it really does help. It's it's a great therapy and I will put it up on the Facebook page for you to have a look at. Now on to today's show. The incidence of diabetes is on the rise and it is rising at an alarming rate. About 90 to 95% of those diagnosed are type 2 diabetes and the other 5% are type 1 diabetes. With type 2 diabetes there is a huge lifestyle and nutrition component. And it is essential that we understand how these factors help to both co manage and to prevent type 2 diabetes. Our guest today is Dr. Deanna Minnick, excuse me, and she will be elucidating all of this information for us and really giving us a deep education on the value of nutrition and lifestyle in working with type 2 diabetes. Dr. Deanna Minnick is a health educator, a researcher, and author with more than 20 years of experience in nutrition, mind-body health, and functional medicine. Her passion is bringing forth a colorful, whole-self approach to nourishment and bridging the gaps between science, soul, art, and medicine. Her most recent book is called The Rainbow Diet, A Holistic Approach to Radiant Health Through Foods and Supplements. And when we get back from our break, we're going to be discussing things like the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes, why perhaps type 2 diabetes is on the rise, and how we can effectively co-manage type 2 diabetes with diet and lifestyle modifications. So when we come back, we will be joined by our guest, Dr. Deanna Minnick.
3: As I walk this great unknown Questions come and questions go Was there purpose for the pain? Did I cry these tears in vain? I don't want to live in fear I want to trust that you are near Trust your grace can be seen In both triumph and tragedy I have this hope in the depth of my soul In the flood or the fire, you're with me and you won't let go But sometimes my faith feels thin Like the night will never end Will you catch every tear or will you just leave me here? I have this all oh, in the devil. my soul In the flood or the fire You are with me I have this You are with me, and you won't let go.
0: You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi.
1: Welcome back, everybody. And Dr. Minnick, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it.
4: Great to be here with everyone. Thank you.
1: Maybe we'll start with just a a history of you. I always find it very interesting to find out how our guests got to be the experts that they are. How did you get to be in the nutritional therapy and and the whole embodiment of what you do?
4: You know, know, if I look back, I think it started when I was in um, grade school, when my mom really got very conscious about food, nutrition, and how we were all living our lives. And so... At a very young age, I was introduced to reading my food labels, to not eating sugar, and there was a lot of restriction in our household. And so I was always kind of intrigued with food because there were so many things I couldn't have, and I developed a lot of emotions around that. So for me, it wasn't just a nutritional path. There was like an emotional, personal growth connection into food. So I thought I would go and study medicine and become a medical doctor, but then I started working for lots of medical doctors while I was a teenager and while I was in undergraduate school, and I realized that that's not my path, and I kind of had this 11th and a half hour experience where I thought, I'm going to go and study nutrition. So I went into graduate school, got into nutrition, and started to see that nutrition was so essential for So many of the different chronic diseases, so rather than becoming a medical doctor and treating those diseases, I wanted to become somebody who could help others to understand the research and how they could prevent those diseases in the first place. So I did my PhD, I worked for a large food manufacturer to understand the food industry, I worked for a large supplement company, did a lot of education, got to know the dietary supplement world. And then I went into my own business, which is called Food and Spirit, which is an integration of food and lifestyle. How do you bring the best of both together in an integrated way to help people with chronic disease? So what I do now is I do lots of education. Uh, I teach for the Institute for Functional Medicine. I teach for the University of Western States. I do a lot of my own online teaching for people as well as practitioners to help them to see that integrated whole So I would say that that's, that's pretty much my path. Uh, you know, a lot of details along the way, of course, but uh, essentially what I'm about is education, research,
1: and putting that together in a clinical way. Well, you've paved the way for many, many people, and it must have been hard at the beginning because it just seems that people are starting now with the rise in chronic illness to really grasp this lifestyle and nutrition component and its peace within the whole health aspect. So you must have had a lot of tough work at the beginning trying to make your point and putting your point across to people.
4: Uh, Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, no. I had a lot of great teachers who had already paved the way for me. So one of my mentors is Dr. Jeffrey Bland, and Dr. Bland started the Institute for Functional Medicine together with his wife, Susan. And, you know, he was really the pioneer. He was very groundbreaking and started to pave this path that opened it up for so many people so yeah there there have been moments where it has been challenging to get across concepts but for the most part I feel like many others have done the heavy lifting.
1: (laughs) I think you've you've done some yourself (laughs) (laughs) I think you've done some yourself I'm a great (laughs) follower of your work. So let's get into the topic at hand. Diabetes is on the rise it's uh, another one of the chronic illnesses that seems to be um on the rise. I mean, it's, we, we hit it everywhere. We hit cancer. We hit diabetes. But I think when, with our topic today, I think it's important for our listeners to get an understanding of the difference between type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes. And maybe I'll throw in there if you could, if you could briefly explain what pre-diabetes is.
4: Yeah, and there's even a type 3 diabetes now. So okay. I'll, I'll go through all of them. Yeah, type 1 diabetes is insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus. And so for type 1 diabetes, typically our pancreas cells are not producing insulin, so we have to have insulin coming in externally. It's injected in, we take it orally, uh, because without it, our body's not able to process sugar, but it's more about a structural defect in the pancreas. And usually we see people with type 1 diabetes diagnosed early on in life, or it's connected to something autoimmune, but that is kind of a, a special circumstance where it's about an organ rather than a lifestyle. Type 2 diabetes is more of what I would refer to as lifestyle-induced diabetes. In other words, our pancreas is working just fine. It was producing insulin, but because of the use and abuse of various things in our environment, whether we were eating too much in the way of processed carbohydrates, or not exercising enough, had a lot of stress, um, not having a balanced um, life in the way of you know managing our our work life and eating well and sleeping well you know it gets very complicated and eventually the body catches up with us and what can happen is now our body is producing insulin but our body's not seeing it we have what's called insulin resistance and so because our body's not seeing it we're not taking in glucose and so we get a lot of sugar and insulin circulating in our bloodstream and we start to get all kinds of damage in different organs, whether it's the liver gets fatty, the muscle gets fatty, our fat tissue begins to increase because we start to um, convert some of this, the sugar to fat. So now we get a whole host of things that are uh, implicated. It's not just glucose and insulin, but now we start to see that there are some changes in our blood fats things like triglycerides, things like LDL cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, total cholesterol. So we kind of venture down the path as we progress into more risk factors for cardiovascular disease. And in fact, even when I think of diabetes, you know, there is a strong correlation, especially type 2 diabetes, there's a strong correlation with cardiovascular diseases, as well as other things like stroke and Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, gout, you know, even things like sleep apnea or osteoporosis is connected into that too, and hypertension, high blood pressure. So, so type two diabetes is more of a lifestyle-induced form of diabetes where our pancreas works fine, but after time we kind of burn out our pancreas. It's, um, you know, we get we get kind of this. Back and forth, where we're not processing carbohydrates or even other nutrients very well, and then pre-diabetes is more or less this. It's also referred to as metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome, otherwise known as uh, pre-diabetic states, are where we start to see these subtle shifts in. Um, we start to see more insulin resistance, our our blood glucose starts to creep up and up and up, and we may see increased belly fat. We might start to have more weight around the middle. Our triglycerides might start to creep up. Our blood pressure might start to go up. And so there are a number of different signaling messengers that the body is letting us know that, hey, we're not okay. We need to make a decision and course correct so we don't move down that path to type 2 diabetes. So that's a pre-diabetic state. It's kind of moving along that continuum to becoming a classic type 2 diabetic. And then, many people aren't aware of uh, type 3 diabetes, which is often referred to as the diabetes of the brain. So people with type 2 diabetes tend to have an increased risk for dementia and cognitive issues, and it's because they're not managing glucose well. And glucose and insulin are very much connected into brain function. So when we get high sugar in the blood what ends up happening is the blood brain barrier shuts down to insulin so we don't get a lot of insulin in the brain this is referred to as type 2 type 3 diabetes this is a term I would say that's more used in the research than it is like if you were to go to your doctor and say do I have type 3 diabetes he or she probably wouldn't know that term it's more used in the research so it was discussed back in 2007 And then from there, people started talking about it, people that are in kind of the the world of brain health, cognition, and diabetes, about how the brain has a very specific response to high insulin and high glucose. And that's important because insulin is important for the metabolism of beta amyloid. Beta amyloid is the protein in the brain that can accumulate in dementia, especially in Alzheimer's disease. It's one of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease. So if we don't have insulin in the brain, we're not metabolizing amyloid properly and helping with that whole signal cascade. So it gets kind of complicated. But all to say that our blood sugar balance is key for so much. It's going to change whether or not we're inflamed, whether or not we have what's called oxidative stress in the body, kind of taxing our mitochondria and our our general reserves uh, of energy. And so... That's usually one of the first things that I focus on with people. Check out your blood sugar, and it's not just your fasting blood sugar. It's also your fasting insulin, and by knowing your fasting insulin and what that level is, that says something about whether or not your body's responding to insulin. And, of course, uh, one of the other common lab measures is hemoglobin A1C. Mm -hmm. Hemoglobin A1C is a marker of how much damage uh, there has been to the red blood cell, to the hemoglobin, because when you have too much sugar floating around in the bloodstream over time, it can complex to proteins. And so that's what that is. When you're getting that measured, hemoglobin A1C is essentially measuring the amount of sugar that's been complexed to the hemoglobin in your red blood cells. And that's more of a chronic measure over time of how much damage there has been because somebody has had elevated blood sugar. So it's so important. Um... You know, if you've got stress hormones that are high, cortisol that goes up a lot, that's going to fuel insulin release. And so, when our blood sugar's off, we feel it. We feel different in the way of our energy, and the different um, ways that we think, and our brain function. And so, it, it really does change so much of our daily lives.
1: There's you. You mentioned um, monitoring our fasting insulin. Is there a test, and is that commonly done for people?
4: It's not always commonly done for people. It would have to be a special test, but a typical allopathic medical doctor could order that test. Okay. The only thing to mention here is that when we look at the ranges that are typically on a lab for what is considered normal, um, oftentimes those ranges for fasting insulin might... You know, you know, I operate within a, a special... Um, circle of in way of thinking about the body and root cause medicine called functional medicine. And, you know, they have tight ranges on what they consider to be normal, whether it's thyroid hormone or it's glucose or it's insulin. And so I think it is worthwhile to, to look at both together. Actually, those three things together is to know your fasting blood sugar, to know your fasting insulin. And then also to know your hemoglobin A1C. Some practitioners also like to look at inflammatory markers like HSCRP, otherwise known as high sensitivity C-reactive protein. So because when we have insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes, there's more inflammation. And that inflammation can fuel so many other processes in the body and can lead to you know, potentially things like increased cardiovascular risk factors. So, yeah, I do think that um, fasting insulin, it's not commonly done, but it can be ordered as part of a standard mainstream lab panel.
1: That's good to know. It's very good to know. So let's get into type 2 diabetes because this is really the the area where food and nutrition and lifestyle play a huge role. Can you let us know and educate us on the role that these aspects do play on both co-managing and perhaps preventing type 2 diabetes?
4: Yeah, in my opinion, um, being steeped in the nutrition world for some years, what I would say is it all starts with food. If you think about it, most of our day is punctuated around our meals. So, you know, we, we're always confronted with eating. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we wake up, we eat, and then uh, after a couple of hours, we eat again. We may be snacking. And so I feel like, you know, we hear that phrase, food is medicine. I think food is a lot more than just medicine, but we have to start there. We really do need to look at our body's response to food. And I take a very personalized approach. I think that one of the things that I think about when it comes to type 2 diabetes and by the way, you know, I have family members. My my parents both come from larger families in um, which they had five or six kids. And um, many of them, if I look at them, you know, they, they come from, you know, very unhealthy lifestyle practices. And my grandfather, my dad's dad, um, was so severe in his type 2 diabetes that, you know, one of the things that can happen is poor circulation. And my grandfather even had to have his foot amputated because of the extreme damage from diabetes. I mean, it can be really, and then you can lose your eyesight, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to have to think about what this can do to you if you're not in proper control through food is, is tremendous. And if I look at how my grandfather ate, and also my uncle, who also developed type 2 diabetes, very severe, not to the point of my grandfather, but my grandfather loved sugar. And my grandmother always had this bowl of white granulated sugar on the kitchen table with a spoon in it. And it was used just pervasively in everything. And, you know, he had a sweet tooth. He, uh, you know, definitely liked those big desserts after meals. And there wasn't a lot of, even though my grandmother was a stay-at-home mom and she cooked a lot of her, the meals for the family, which was a large family, you know, it some of these things, there, there was an indulgence and an overindulgence. And I think a lot of people don't realize the hidden sources of sugar. You know, we, we tend to think like, okay, right, desserts and cakes and cookies and pastries and, you know, the things that are obviously sweet, like the white granulated sugar. But then there is this, this continuum. And so then we start to look at, what are, well, what are the other sources of sugar? Well, alcohol is a source of sugar, That converts in the body to to sugar, to glucose. Um, We look at some savory foods that are also high sugar converting foods. So things like a white starchy hamburger bun or macaroni noodles or bread, white bread. You know, my mom was just the opposite of my grandfather and she was really healthy. And so she would tell me, you know, because I didn't have white bread growing up. My mom was really conscious about not giving us white bread sandwiches with peanut butter and jelly. In fact, she gave me these dark, grainy bread sandwiches, uh, which were brown. And I said, Mom, why can't I have bread like all the other kids at school? <laughs> and she said, Deanna, just remember that the whiter the bread, the quicker
1: you're dead. Oh, <laughs> well, that's a lot to take in for a young one. <laughs> I know, I was
4: only like nine years old oh. she was telling me this. Did she, you tell I mean, this
1: to all your it. friends? <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Your mom was ahead of the curve. <laughs> Dr. Minnick
4: Remember, I would
1: Sorry, go ahead? Do we need to break? Yeah, we do need to take a quick break. I apologize, but we're going to come right back to this topic because I think the area of carbohydrates is so confusing to people that we need to spend a little bit of time before we get into the other lifestyle components. So, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back.
5: If I could tell you everything that I have learned so far, then you could be one step ahead of all the painful memories still running through my head. I wonder how much different things would be, dear younger me. I give some speech about how to get the most out of your life, or do I go deep and try to change the choices that you'll make, cause they're the choices that made me, and even though I love this crazy life, sometimes I wish it was a smooth ride, dear young to me. My joy, my pain would have never been my worth If I knew that what I know now Would have not been hard to figure out What I would have changed if I had heard Dear younger me, it's not your fault You never meant to carry this beyond the cross you are one of the redeemed, set apart, a brand new heart. Oh, you are free indeed. In every mountain, every valley, through each heartache, you will see. Every moment brings you closer to who you were meant to be. The younger me.
0: To the Health Hub here on Radio Maria, Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416 245 1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We are talking with Dr. Deanna Minnick, and I want to jump right on board from where we left off. Let's get on to the topic, Dr. Minnick, of the confusion with carbohydrates within uh, diabetes and diet as a whole, but specifically focusing on on type 2 diabetes. Where do carbohydrates fit into the picture?
4: Yeah, you know, carbohydrates are, um, they're varied. And so there are processed carbohydrates, there are whole food carbohydrates, So let me just address the processed carbohydrates again. The processed carbohydrates are things that are going to increase our blood sugar much more because the food itself is most likely high glycemic. It leads to the quick release of sugar from that food into the blood. So an example, much like my mom was saying, is white bread. White bread can tend to break down rapidly when we eat it and then we see it in the blood um, quickly thereafter. Um, Other things are the obvious, like I was mentioning, the cookies and cakes and the donut, the things that have obvious added sugar, but then there are things like uh, a hamburger bun or corn chips or um, alcohol, you know, things like this can quickly either increase the blood sugar directly or indirectly. Now, the other side of carbohydrate, it's not like we want to just kind of let go of all carbohydrate because there are some carbohydrates that are healing and helpful for reducing the risk of type 2 diabetes. And those would be the whole food-based carbohydrates, things like whole grains, legumes, starchy vegetables. Now, you have to be careful with some of these because some of these foods can be high glycemic. So when I'm talking about whole grains, I'm not talking about white rice. I'm talking about the, the kind of rice that is, whether purple rice, black rice, red rice, um, darker rice, like brown rice, that actually has the bran, it has fiber. When we have food closer to its natural form, that it occurs in nature, we're just going to be better off. And so having a lot of fiber, you know, fiber, I think, is the key. And it's already built into foods if we're eating a complex, varied, whole foods-based Diet, we're going to get more fiber. Like if if you have, um, you know, like a serving of black beans uh, in the United States, we would refer to this like a cup of beans, a, a black beans. That's that's already about eight to uh, eleven grams of fiber, and so, and and after eating a lot of these uh, types of carbohydrates with a lot of fiber built in, we feel satiated. We feel full, it, and that feeling of being full is correlated to our blood sugar so you know like when you go to a chinese restaurant and you eat a meal with a lot of white rice a lot of sugary sauces maybe not a lot of vegetables not a lot of meat and so after you know eating the meal like within an hour you're hungry again because your body has processed a lot of the the energy from that meal it increased your glucose your insulin came out and shuttled that glucose into your cells and now it's like okay Now you kind of have a dip where the blood sugar goes low because of these extremes. You just had it high and now it's going low. And so then you start to crave things potentially that are sweet in order to get those levels back up. Whereas if we had a meal with, and I'll just, I mean, I think you can eat out and still get this. Let's just say you go for Mexican food. This is one of my favorite travel um, types of food. What I do is I'll go to a... A place like Cadoba where i 'll get a bowl i won 't get a tortilla i 'll get a bowl i 'll get a little bit of the, the i 'll usually have a choice of rice and i 'll get the darker rice and then i 'll have lots of beans um, sometimes I may get uh, some chicken that that may or may not fit in for me and i 'll get lots of vegetables i 'll put some healthy fat of having guacamole and some cilantro and it's it's very filling. Mm-hmm. Like even this morning I had um, I made my husband and I some breakfast and I had some there was some unsweetened cashew based yogurt and I filled it up with chia seeds with rolled oats with um, nuts, other seeds, pumpkin seeds, and I put some fruit in it. I mean that thing was just full of fiber, and so we need to if we're not getting it from our diet, which I hope we are, you know that really is the best approach. We need something on the order of you know, depending on the amount of calories that we're taking in, something like between 30 and 35 grams of fiber in a day. Mm -hmm. And some people would say even more.
1: Yeah, I I understand that too to be very important. That's what I recommend to people that I'm working with. And it is difficult to get that amount of fiber in your diet.
4: Yeah, but if you stick to whole foods um, and to refrain again from processed foods, then at least you're going to get closer. And if you need supplemental fibers, different... um, you know, whether prune fiber, rice bran fiber, apple fiber, psyllium, flaxseed meal. You know, what I tend to do is I'll have some of those things on hand and then I'll just add them to the foods that I'm eating, like that bowl of cashew-based yogurt that I had this morning. I'll just kind of put in the fiber source and just kind of mix it up, especially flaxseed meal. If I'm making a smoothie, that's a wonderful – one of my favorite smoothies is to take a macadamia nut milk, Or you can do almond milk or some other kind of alternate milk. I like alternate milk. I don't drink regular milk. And then I put in a banana, a smaller ripe banana to add to the sweetness. So I get natural sweetness. Mm -hmm. You know, This is to show like we don't need the external refined sweeteners. If we just use fruit and complex it with protein and fat to blunt the glycemic impact, I think we're better
1: off. Um, I'll put cacao. Sorry, go ahead. go ahead, No, you go ahead. Mm -hmm. Keep going with the smoothie.
4: Yeah, I'll just finish my smoothie. Um, And and so um, cacao powder, I'll put some of that in there because cocoa polyphenols, uh, uh, some of the the things that are in cacao and cocoa are good for our blood vessels. I'll put that in there. I'll put the flaxseed meal in there. I'll get some fiber. I might even put a little bit of an avocado. Believe it or not, avocado is such a great addition to a smoothie. It makes it very creamy. And so if you don't eat yogurt and a lot of these things that provide like a filler, Um, an avocado is a great substitute. So anyway, you blend it up, and it's just such a great thing also for blood sugar because it's
1: more balanced. And it probably lasts the whole morning for you. And it's sweet. It fills you up and lasts you the morning. I wanted to um, focus on colors and, you know, sort of pull from your book, The Rainbow Diet, the colors, the polyphenols, all those things that, you know, the rainbow diet is, we tell people to eat a lot of colors to get the nutrients, but maybe we could get a little bit towards your more scientific bent. Are there components of food that help to modulate or speak to our genes or help to control our biological responses? So, you know, getting pairing up why we want to have these colors in our diet.
4: Yeah, you know, most of us are eating what I call the brown, yellow, and white foods diet. You look at breakfast foods, sausage, bacon, eggs, ready-to-eat cereal, bread. I mean, this is lackluster. Where's the color? And so a lot of these foods are devoid of the precious plant compounds, and these things are called phytonutrients, plant-based nutrients. And these plant-based nutrients are protective for the body, and they help to reduce inflammation. They help to increase insulin action in the body. They also help with stress response. So if we're missing those because we're not eating a rainbow diet, like I talk about in my rainbow diet book, Mm -hmm. then we're going to feel the effects of the unhealthy qualities of a food. In fact, um, I wrote an article, I think it was back in 2008, looking at how some of these specific plant compounds help with our cells receiving the message of insulin better so it can take up glucose. And some of those plant compounds and just some of those foods are things like cinnamon. Cinnamon is an excellent insulin sensitizer. And if you look at the studies getting somewhere on the order of about a teaspoon or four grams, four to five grams of cinnamon within a day, not all at once and not on an empty stomach, but incorporated into me. Like I could have put cinnamon on my, my yogurt this morning, on my yogurt bowl. That would have been a nice addition. Um, other things like green tea, green tea is fabulous for helping our cell to work better with insulin. In fact, I have green tea just about every day. I usually start my day with green tea and I get different kinds of green tea. There are different kinds like senshan, and gen chai. You know, I, I do all the different ones because I want the different plant compounds, um, which are called catechins. And every tea is a little bit more unique than the other. And so in order to get kind of that complex array and the different variety to try out a number of different teas. Um, If we look at grapes, you know, most people think, oh, I thought grapes weren't so good for me, but grapes contain in the skin of the grape and blueberries are, are like this too. If we have small wild blueberries and the smaller, less juicy grapes, then you don't get as much sugar and that skin is rich in resveratrol, resveratrol as as well as other proanthocyanidins. I I don't want to isolate and just say it's just about one compound because that's not accurate. Mm -hmm. I, I think what happens with supplements is we say, okay, the Mediterranean diet, what's the one thing there that we can bottle and just give it to people? But we take it out of the fuller context. So a lot of these whole foods are important for changing the cellular communication, which changes the gene expression, which gives us different proteins and helps our body to work better with insulin and sugar.
1: So we're moving beyond the, the macronutrients of protein fats and carbs. And I think that's very important for people to understand. Is there a specific color that may be associated with type two diabetes, a color of food that you, you would hone in on more?
3: (laughs) That's a good
4: question. Um, In fact, you know, the way that I have it structured in the Rainbow Diet book, yellow is the color for um, digestion and a number of the organs that correlate to type 2 diabetes. And so we look at the pancreas, the liver, the stomach, the small intestine. And so yellow, and the problem is that we're eating a lot of yellow foods, but they're not the healthy kind. You know, I'm thinking of starchy corn, corn tortillas, corn chips, uh, corn bread, you know, corn is... Is everywhere, and even in ways that we don't even see it in products. Like sometimes you read a label on a food product, and it says maltodextrin. What is maltodextrin? Well, maltodextrin typically comes from corn or wheat or, in some cases, more obscure cases, tapioca and rice, and it's a starch. And even in, um, you know, even the little stevia packets, you find... um, it's not straight stevia. It could be, there's a maltodextrin carrier. So we could be getting corn in a variety of places, you know, corn syrup, corn sugar. You know, it, it's just, it's out there. So we're eating a lot of unhealthy yellow. And then there are a lot of healthy yellows too. You know, looking at the other side, looking at lemon, looking at ginger, looking at bananas, as I mentioned, uh, star fruit. There are a number of, of healthy yellow foods that I do talk about in the rainbow diet Uh, yellow summer squash, a lot of the different squashes that are high in soluble fiber. But it doesn't just stop with one color. Diabetes is a systemic condition. It affects our brain, it affects our heart, it affects our skin, our nerves. So there are other colors that come into play. In fact, on my Facebook page just probably the other day, I posted on a new study that showed that higher amounts of um, certain compounds called anthocyanidins are correlated with less type 2 diabetes risk. And so um, if we look at foods that contain more of those compounds, they tend to be more purplish, purple and red. And so things like purple cabbage or things like uh, figs or um, currants, black currants or blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, radishes, these are rich in anthocyanins. And again, this article had just come out showing a reduced risk of type 2 diabetes.
1: So the message is to incorporate all the colors, just like your book says. Get all
4: the colors. Get all the colors. And And not, not the unhealthy colors, but the healthy ones.
1: The ones with the fiber, the ones you find on the outside of the grocery store. We've talked about that many times. Now, before we get carried away with more of the food, because we could certainly talk about that for much longer than what we have, let's get on to some lifestyle factors that you consider are essential for managing type 2 diabetes.
4: Stress. We have to look at stress in our lives. What I have found in me working with diabetics and knowing many diabetics is I feel like there's a degree of stress and overwork and just being... You know the metaphor I like to use. First of all, when you look in the rainbow diet, I talk about each of these systems in our body being connected to an element. And so, when I think of digestion, I think of fire. So the fire element is connected to type two diabetes in in the way that I think of it. And I make it just very simple to talk about in that way. And so, when people feel burnt out, you know, noticing kind of that symbolic meaning of you know feeling like you've just been stretched too thin this is when we start to make poor choices for ourselves. We sleep less, we exercise less, we make less um, healthy food choices. We might reach for more processed foods because we just don't have the time. We're busy and we put ourselves last. And so lifestyle is huge and we have to be real when it comes to looking at stress in our lives. So one of the very simple activities that I recommend to people is some people don't even know. And what you don't know is, you know, it remains a blind spot. So you kind of have to figure out, you know, what is stressing me out every day? So you take a piece of paper, you divide it in two. And on the first side, you write down all the things that give you energy, everything that you come across and set a timer, make this very, you know, so you don't have to spend a lot of time because you can go on and on on this. So set a timer for 10 minutes where you just sit down and you write down all the things in life that give you energy. Maybe it's, um, going to certain events. Maybe it's um, talking to certain friends, being around certain family members. Maybe it's about making crafts. Maybe it's about making food, or maybe there are certain foods that give you energy. You know, be expansive. Just write anything that comes to mind that gives you energy, where you, you actually feel invigorated after you've done these things. Maybe it's taking a walk in nature. That would be on my list of what gives me energy. And then, After 10 minutes, you stop and you go over to the other side and you say, "Okay, what are the things that take away my energy? What burns me out? And you go in this 10 minute time frame and you start to write down the things that burn you out. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's um, responsibilities at home. Maybe it's and be honest. You know, maybe it's tending for your kids. You know, I mean, you have to know kind of what is is confronting you so that you can either emphasize the things that nourish you or start to take away some of the things that you can actually control. I feel like with diabetics, um, there's a sense of sweetness and joy that needs to be replenished in their lives. I look at my grandfather who had his own business. He was a workaholic. He was always working and there was, you know, it just, he wasn't a very happy person in many ways. Um, And I felt like, you know, in some ways, was he having these high sugar foods because it was like a reward and he didn't have time to create and carve out in order to feel the joy and the sweetness of life. Even though he had all these kids, he was still so busy. So I kind of feel like we have to find ways to get sweetness and joy in our lives that don't involve sugar.
1: And And you mentioned energy inventory. And you mentioned the, Mm -hmm. the sleep And the exercise are also very important. Um, We've talked about them many times on the show, how important it is for stress. The exercise helps to uh, balance insulin levels and so forth. And I I wanted to give you some time, Dr. Minnick, because just what you were talking about there with stress, it, it just leads right into this beautiful concept of the book that you have written and it's the rainbow diet, but it's not a diet, is it? It's more of a a lifestyle change. It's more of a way to evaluate what you're doing, and then you're guiding people. It's not a diet book. And I want to give you a few minutes to sort of lay out your platform, so people get a good understanding of what your book is about.
4: Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I think you got it really well. Um, The Rainbow Diet is a guidebook, and so you get into the book, you open it up, you take the quiz, the spectrum quiz, and you kind of figure out out of the seven colors that represent the seven systems, where are you imbalanced? And based on that, you can jump to the chapter to correspond to where you are imbalanced. Let's just say that it's yellow. Uh, You know, it's interesting because I have this quiz online, and I've had thousands of people take the quiz, and when we looked at the data. We found that 80% of people are imbalanced in their yellow, which is their fire. You know, they're, they're not digesting well. They're taking in too much. They're doing too much. They're stressed out. So from this, then you're directed into the chapter on the fire, which is going to connect you into some questions to ask of yourself in your eating relationship. And then let's focus on some nutrients and foods that are important for you and to, to bring back that sense of balance. And then I also mentioned some targeted nutrients by way of supplementation. So especially in diabetes, you know, sometimes it's, a, you know, because we've been consuming nutrient-poor foods, we're missing some nutrients to help us metabolize and to help us be insulin sensitive. So things like chromium, things like B vitamins overall can be helpful for extracting energy from our foods and helping us to burn bright rather than burn out. And B vitamins and vitamin C are some of the first vitamins to go when we're stressed. So replenishing, and you know, that's not expensive. It's actually very easy to do that kind of thing. So that's what the rainbow diet does, is it gives you primarily a food approach, a nutrient approach to balancing each of your seven systems of health. The lifestyle piece that you mentioned, Kathy, is um, really key. I address that more in another book called Whole Detox, which is uh, there's a 21-day program, and it takes people through. It gives them seven different things to do every day, but not things that are going <laughs> to just add to their to-do list. They're nourishing things, and it's physical movement. It's meditation, uh, visualization, really having uh, guided imagery. Um, sleep is discussed, and cravings and, you know, um, looking a bit broader, and and even for me, one of the things that I bring in, and I think everybody should be asking about this, is creativity. You know, being in the flow, having more play um, is really key for keeping us in that spirit of, sweet, of the sweetness of life.
1: Mm-hmm. A total so, mind-body-spirit, yeah, mind-body-spirit approach, which is just It's something that, you know, people really do need to focus on. We sometimes get this tunnel vision of how to approach a disease, and I think we miss out on so many other components. Dr. Minnick, it's been wonderful having you on the show. We could go on and on about this and other topics I wanted to let you know, again, the name of uh, Dr. Minnick's most recent book, The Rainbow Diet, A Holistic Approach to Radiant Health Through Foods and Supplements. You can find out more about Dr. Minnick on her website, which is www.deanna, that's with two N's, and Minnick with one N. I'll put this all up on our page as well. So www.deanna.com www.deannaminnick.com and she has a facebook page which is uh, backslash deanna.minick, and you can find her there her facebook page is fabulous uh, very informative lots of information so once again dr Minick, thank you so much for joining us we really do appreciate it and everybody we will talk to you next week on the health hub